Welcome back to the GP Fans Steward Room podcast, where once again we are dissecting all the events of a stellar Sunday from Formula One. And my goodness, we I think it's not overstating it to say that Azerbaijan last Sunday was a instant classic for Formula One fans across the globe. I can already see the head honcho joining myself today, Ian Park, shaking his head at that. Ian, we'll dive into why it's perhaps not an instant classic, but how are you doing today, mate? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I'm smiling at that introduction. Thanks ever so much. We'll get, as you say, we'll get into it in a second. <laughs> uh, also on the line today, we have Mr. Sam Hall, the deputy editor of GP Fans. Sam, how are we doing, mate? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, Ollie. It was a great race. Whatever Ian says, I enjoyed it. So we'll get we'll get into that. <laughs> how could you not enjoy Formula One entertainment? And we've got a new guest on the show today, FIA karting commentator Jake Sanson joining us as well. Jake, how you doing, mate? I'm doing well, Oliver. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, the first 45 laps weren't so classic, but uh, yeah, certainly the last 45 minutes of coverage were quite entertaining. Hey, you give me... I was covered it in a nutshell. (laughs) You give me potential (laughs) Pirelli tyre failures after what we saw with Lance Stroll, and you're sat there on the edge of your seat for those dying few laps. It was all building up to the big crescendo that we certainly had. I'll start with you, Sam, though, because... This is a weekend where everybody will be talking about what happened with Perez and, of course, the success for Aston Martin. But in terms of Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton as well, this is a weird weekend for those two to be walking away from where they've both kind of got away with it. But Lewis Hamilton, I imagine Sam will feel far more disappointed than than Max Verstappen in the end. Yeah, um, I mean, Verstappen, obviously, when he his tyre went on the main straight, caused a red flag. I mean, a penny for his thoughts at that immediate moment. He must have thought he was leaving that track with championship lead gone, trailing by almost a race victory. Um, and it, it was just the worst case scenario for him, really. Um, but then to see Lewis, or he was actually in the medical medical centre when Lewis made his mistake. So to to have that euphoria after it, if you could call it that, I mean... It, it it was a roller coaster for Red Bull, for Mercedes, and for Verstappen and Hamilton. Um, game on again, championships close as ever. It's what we like, isn't it? Who wanted one of them to run away with it? Well, nobody wants anybody running away with the with the world championship in the in the drivers' standings because we want to see this titanic battle going on throughout the season, but. But Ian, I mean, we couldn't have had much more drama involving the two races that you would least expect to to have moments like this, I imagine, when you consider the preparation that goes through both Mercedes and Red Bull in their team strategies and being able to keep a glance on everything going on with the cars. And then two drivers that Verstappen's had his mistakes this year, but generally these two are the guys that you just do not expect to be making mistakes. And, And Lewis Hamilton certainly seemed to do that this weekend. It was a bizarre one from Lewis and one of those that he's probably going to reflect on for quite some time. Um, I'm sure people have learned by now that uh, he flicked on the back of his steering wheel a little device called Brake Magic. Uh, For those people listening, if you're not too sure what that is, the Brake Magic device basically is a little button that uh, allows a driver on a formation lap to uh, get Uh, heat into the tyres and the front in particular Uh, when he's lining up on the grid that uh, is flicked back off again but as they set off for the restart Lewis inadvertently caught it that basically propelled all the 
bias towards the front brakes and that's why you saw that lock up going into turn one and he, him just hurtling down the escape road you could hear it in his voice uh, as soon as he pulled back into the uh, into the Mercedes garage again when he just a dejection did I hit the brake magic by mistake you know I think words along those lines just absolutely deflated I, I can't recall hearing Lewis's voice so down like that for, for many a year so you could tell straight away exactly just what that meant to him as Sam has mentioned the point swing was was incredible Lewis at one stage was staring at leaving Azerbaijan with a, a 15 point deficit to Max then it potentially swung back in his favour he could have left with a 14 point lead it's only the four point gap but he will look back on that race in particular and that moment in particular uh, as one that could be potentially defining as and when we get down, go down to the wire towards the end of the season. I mean, that footage of Pierre Gasly being interviewed on his third place position and then Hamilton just trudging behind in the background. Body language can't really scream, but it seemed to pretty much scream there. The shoulders slumped, the head down. I mean... It, it looked like, and I'm glad we've got a, a karting commentator to join us on the podcast this week, because it looked like something that you'd see almost in a karting race with Lewis's brakes just screeching down to that runoff and completely overshooting the corner for, for the the magic button reason, I suppose we should call it. Jay, I mean, have you ever seen anything as bizarre as that to, for a race to finish in this sort of manner? Um, I've certainly seen it in the lower formulas, but probably not in Formula One. I think that's that's the thing. And you've got to think back to a few years ago under these sort of circumstances under a Charlie Whiting regime of Formula One pre-Liberty Media, when Verstappen had his uh, tyre failure, that would have been the end of the race if they had red flagged it. You know, we wouldn't have had the additional three laps. So I think this is kind of a new... Michael Massey era that we're in where it's very much about the grandstand finish the big spectacle you know it's almost NASCAR-ish in the way that we've come with Formula One in terms of the build-up is now for these last three laps and I kind of like it I always used to get frustrated if a race was red flagged early in Formula One in sort of the late 90s early 2000s if we had that situation and you couldn't figure out what would have happened if the race had restarted and I always felt you know there were a few races that could very easily have changed hands if they had been allowed to continue after a regrid so I quite like this new era I quite like the ability for things to change hands it's kind of what we need in this 21st century 21 second attention span generation that we're in it's good for the evolution of the sport whether it's a pure Formula One classic I think is up for debate because obviously it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really follow the same timeline as classic races because it's a completely different uh, beast it's a different era um but yeah to to look at it from the point of view of other formulas i've seen races end like this in formula 3000 i've seen races end like this in a1gp but it's so rare for like the turn of a dial uh, dramatic incident in the last couple of laps of Formula One. But I kind of like the way it's gone. You know, I think it's kind of what we need to get new viewers involved. We need that energy to uh, hit a bit of an evolution for Grand Prix racing in general. And I think it's actually the way it was handled was the best way. And I do think, you know, Red Bull to a certain degree were lucky to get away with a victory out of all of that with everything that was going on. Uh, but they kind of preempted it at the same time with the whole, we need to red flag this and then consider restarting it. Uh, so they, they kind of ended up being the architects of their own destiny. 
but it is nice, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good change around for the new format of Formula One we're evolving into. Well, it gets kind of interesting, though, with this, in, in, uh, particularly in the way you're talking about it, and I completely understand the evolving and changing Formula One, perhaps, and obviously we've had a huge boom with this sport, with the Netflix series that has drawn so much more attention and emotion and drama into it, but it is, it's riding a wave at the moment, Formula One, of attention. And then you've got two great drivers battling it out in the Drivers' Championship, two constructors, titans of the sport at the moment, going head-to-head as well on the pit wall. And then you have a race finish like this. But is it almost a bit too kind of, to put it in an odd turn of phrase, I guess, cocaine cowboys of Formula One? Because it's this isn't what the sport is normally like. And so you're getting all of this kind of new millennial-style attention and drama that that isn't going to be like this perhaps throughout the season. We're not going to have a two-lap sprint finish to every single race. And while we can enjoy this, is there also a danger we get too carried away with the idea of perhaps this is what we want Formula One to turn into? Because it feels to me like we could end up with that. And actually, I'd rather see what Lewis Hamilton was talking about on the radio before everything that took place with the restart of it's a marathon it's not a sprint and formula one is that it's the ability to handle tires over 70 odd laps it's an ability to handle engines throughout a season it's ability to to reevaluate where you're going to put your money and it's about getting the job done over 23 races i i don't think you're wrong um because but we've got the sprint races coming in we've got to remember that and the sprint races were bought in especially for the the cricket t20 reasons for for the netflix generation for the younger generations and it was that it's the sprint races are there for those generations that maybe don't have the attention span or don't want to spend two hours of their afternoon watching cars go round and round in circles um so yes there's a danger that f1 could shift no i don't think it ever will completely shift but that you can see the changing focus. Uh, what what do you think about it, Ian? I was going to say because it's the regulations. Um, as Michael Massey mentioned post race, uh, if you throw it back, you know, uh, good few years back, then uh, ordinarily that race might have finished behind the safety car, or it could have finished with uh, when the red flag is thrown. Then they take the result from two laps previously, uh, where the positions are at that particular time. Now they've managed to introduce this safety car regulation. Uh, we saw two different possibilities that unfolded during the race. We saw the one when Lance Stroll crashed. Michael Massey decided then that because there was plenty of time in the race, that they allowed the race to continue behind the safety car for a handful of laps. This time round, he decided, nope, we're not going to finish the race behind the safety car. I've got this rule at my disposal. I'm going to use it. Let's give this... Maybe this didn't go through, he said, but let's provide this grandstand finish. And that's eventually what we got. And that's what made, or that is what will make, when we look back on this season, Baku so memorable. Apart from the Lance Stroll crash, as Jake said at the very start, forget the other 45, 46 laps, because there wasn't much actually that went on. Uh, But this is what we'll look back on and we'll think, wow, what a turning point for both Max and Lewis. We will see just how defining it will be when we're in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I, I think this is, it, it's interesting. I made this point uh, a couple of weeks ago and quite a few people have been making this point now in that, you know, the activity within races that are playing out are not actually that exciting. But I've been watching F1 TV's archive, looking at great classic races from the 80s, from the 90s, from the early 2000s. It's not that different. 
You know, the spectacle isn't actually that different. It's that we remember these things with rose-tinted glasses. You know, we look at these races and we go, what a fantastic race this was, a great battle between Prost and Senna. Yeah, but there were a minute between them out on the circuit, you know. It's a battle of wits. It's not a battle of wheel-to-wheel banging wheels. And we remember these things with rose-tinted glasses so vividly. There was nothing particularly spectacular about Baku. But there wasn't anything particularly boring about it either. You know, it was just a stereotypical Formula One race in the modern era where for me, the cars are too wide. The cars are too long with the shorter, narrower uh, cars before you had a few more opportunities for overtaking. You had a few more of these uh, genuine battles. And that's just kind of where we're at. We need to kind of focus on, you know, what do we really want as an F1 spectator? Do we want drivers banging seven bells out of each other every corner? Or do we want a genuine strategy race where the teams are having to focus on when to make the change from medium compound to hard or whatever? You have to decide what you want. And with IndyCar, you're going to get the seven bells banging out of each other, perhaps a little bit more than you would do in Formula One. You're going to get the strategy battles in Formula One because it is about the constructors. It is a team sport. As much as the drivers want to think it's about the individual, the whole business of Formula One revolves around the team, around the constructor, around the engine, around the tyre, everything. So you kind of have to balance that with what you get from Formula One. It's... um. It's interesting as well, though, when you say it wasn't an interesting race, because the I think there's more attention at the moment on the battle away from the, or as much attention on the battle away from the top two as there is anywhere else. I mean, the the discussion of who can put themselves third in the constructors championship and there's a lot of focus, particularly in the coverage, goes into the likes of Ferrari and McLaren. If you can dive into those stories those middle-of-the-pack racing moments become fairly important for those teams and for anybody who's got an affiliation with them. And you also look at the job that Sergio Perez had to do this weekend. I mean, it's amazing he's got the victory, but that was an enthralling watch. Staying away from Max Verstappen's car and seeing Perez just holding off Lewis Hamilton, albeit Hamilton struggling in a slightly slower car, but Perez still couldn't afford to make a mistake at all. And, and the attention and focus that he was going through to do the job that Red Bull expected of him this weekend, I thought was engrossing to watch. So even if you say, oh, nothing happened until the, the late crash and obviously the Lance Stroll crash as well, I still think there's plenty that actually kept everybody entertained until we got the big finish as well. It's just more of a classic now because of that big finish. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, 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 I totally understand what you mean. I mean, yes, you've got the midfield battles, you've got all of this going on, but I'll compare it to football for a second. If you're looking at the table and you're going, oh, who's battling for seventh? Who's battling for eighth? How many does the average fan care, or does a fan of that team care? It's the battle at the front that's going to get people in and watching the sport. And that's what we've got this year. It's We haven't had it for so many years. Yes, you had a couple of years where Ferrari hinted at a challenge but couldn't sustain it. So, I mean, the, having a challenge at the front is going to bring in more viewers. Um, the fact that it's Verstappen and Hamilton, arguably the two greatest drivers of each generation that they represent, that just makes it even more fascinating because I can't remember. It must be Alonso and Schumacher the last time that we had two generational greats going head to head. Yeah, it's a very good point, And I, I completely agree with you. You know, this whole Max versus Lewis thing, I think we've been building for it for about four seasons now. And it's nice that we've actually got it. And people are now asking, 
genuinely fascinating questions like is Bottas now the wrong choice for Mercedes to give them a push to win the Constructors' Championship with Perez being so strong alongside Verstappen? You know, these are the kind of questions that were not asked for the last two to three seasons because it would just be, oh, well, Hamilton's just able to just dominate out in front and Bottas can be his wingman. That's fine. Now we're actually asking completely different questions because of what 2021 is giving us. And now we're seeing Ferrari can bag a pole position. McLaren can bag podiums. You know, Alfa Torres and Aston Martins are getting on the podium. It is becoming more competitive again. Mercedes aren't the dominant force that they were. So this is perhaps one of the most important years in Formula One history, certainly in the 21st century, because we've gone through the Ferrari era, we've gone through the Red Bull era, we've gone through the Mercedes era. Now we're having a transitional shift and it looks as though the working group that's been trying to figure out, you know, how to make things a bit more competitive, they're finally unlocking those secret cheat codes. You know, they're finally getting there. And we do have a genuinely competitive sport again. I mean, who would have thought that coming to Baku, Mercedes would be so ridiculously far off the pace over one lap? I mean, that's unthinkable compared to how dominant they've been in the last seven seasons. And now we genuinely have a sport, not just a a show. We have a sport on our hands. It's wonderful. And this is a season as well, of course, when we know that battle is going to be sustained throughout the course of the course of the year. As Sam's mentioned, uh, yeah, Ferrari was in it for a couple of seasons, but they pretty much faded after the summer break. Um, Lewis and Mercedes came back at them. And this time round, we know that, that this head-to-head battle is going to be sustained across the course of the year because Red Bull have been notoriously slow starters. This time around, they're not. And what we've got this year in particular is the development race going on for 2022 allied with as well with the budget cap which means the teams cannot throw unfettered resources as they have at the past at this year's car they've got to be mindful of next year next year is not the be all and end all but it is the the main goal because those regulations are then going to go uh, from 2022 onwards for a number of years so this one looks like it will go all the way down to Abu Dhabi at least that's what we're hoping now, the 17 races to go, we can't call it, but let's hope and let's hope they do go head to head. Let's hope, as both team principals has been saying, one track will favour one car, one team, one driver. That's certainly looking like it might be the case at the moment. Uh, i got a feeling we're going to see Mercedes bounce back at a more normal, in inverted commas, representative track in France. Well, they do need to bounce back. I mean, you touched on it just a moment ago there, Jake, of the the importance that Bottas and Perez are going to have in this title race now because the the secondary drivers to Hamilton and Verstappen are going to be important in those track position battles and we saw that with Perez but Valtteri Bottas it's been two bad weekends for Mercedes anyway so they need to bounce back with the Constructors' Championship but Valtteri Bottas as well just feels like a man that's completely dejected and and really unsettled and unhappy at the moment in the position he finds himself in in that Mercedes team how big an impact, particularly when you then add Sergio Perez having this big race victory, is this going to have going further into the season? And does it change Mercedes' view on who they want to be their second driver even during this season at the moment? It certainly should do, uh, from my point of view, uh, because you've got to think of it from the point of view of, yes, Formula One is about drivers from a fan's perspective. But from a, uh, a business perspective, it's the teams. They are what matter. You know, the teams are only interested in the Constructors' Championship. You want two guys who can get you points every time. And since race one, since the start of the season in Bahrain, Bottas has looked distant. He has looked like he's just not got it together with this car, with the 
whatever it is. I mean, this car is not actually that different compared to last year. He should be able to have a decent handle on it. But for whatever reason, he's just not up to scratch. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. The definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And we've gone six races in now and Bottas has looked lost at sea. He genuinely looks like he can't figure out which way is left and which way is right sometimes out on circuit. And to take a car that Lewis was within a couple of split seconds of winning in at Baku and to not even finish in the points or look likely to finish in the points at any point, that has got to be a warning bell, you know, because Bottas is only meant to be a couple of tenths of a second maximum off the pace of Lewis. And he was absolutely in a completely different racing car to him. There was only one Mercedes in that race all race long. And that is a warning sign because it's not just Baku that this has happened. Imola, he looked uncompetitive. Uh, Monaco, he looked uncompetitive. And this is just a pattern. It's a pattern. And I said this on Twitter at the time during Baku. I said, if Mercedes want to win this Constructors' Championship, you've got to go for George Russell now. It's as simple as that now because George is motivated. He's determined to prove himself. He's got that energy. He's got that vitality. He's got nothing to lose and everything to prove. So if you put him in the same car, he's going to be up there uh, batting against Hamilton's sector times. I think we saw that in Sakir. You know, he absolutely wiped the floor with Bottas over one lap, sector for sector, apex by apex. He went around the outside of him on a racing lap in Sakir in a car that he couldn't fit in. He couldn't even fit in the shoes to drive in this particular car. So if you give him a couple of days notice, if you actually make the adjustments needed to fit him in that car, he could beat Lewis. Never mind beat the other competitors out there. So... If, if Mercedes are serious about winning this year's Constructors' Championship, they've got to think about being draconian. You know, Red Bull did it with Kvyat and Verstappen, and look what happened. It was a dramatic, it was painful, uh, it was a damning decision. But it worked. Sometimes if you want to win, you've got to be draconian. This is a business at the end of the day. Mercedes have to think about, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. They've got to more than any of the other teams out there because they're a car company. They can't be seen to be failing. So you've got to change an ingredient that is seeming to be failing. And in my view, that's Bottas. I'm sorry, but it is. Well, you've just answered the question I was about to ask you, Jake, about who you'd put in there, because I was going to say that Russell, for me, if you had asked me at the end of last season, would you put Russell in that Mercedes? Yes. The answer would have been yes all day. But this season, his qualifying performance is brilliant. You can't fault them. Q2 in every race in a Williams. Fantastic. But his race performances have left quite a lot. To, they've just not impressed me that much. Yes, in Imola, he was up fighting with Bottas. Whether that was because he was having a brilliant day or Bottas was having a difficult one, that's a discussion. But, I mean, he's just... As you would expect, unfortunately, in that Williams, he's gone backwards in the races. And he's behind Mick Schumacher in the championship. He's behind a rookie in a Haas that hasn't been developed since January the 1st. I mean, yes, you, you're going to get luck in those positions, but do, do you really think that George Russell is still or is currently the answer absolutely. to uh, Mercedes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't mean to sound crash and ha- uh, crass and harsh, but it comes down to uh, a bit of a pig of a Williams to drive. Uh, they've developed it, obviously. They've uh, changed it a little bit coming into this season. So I think Nicholas Latifi's got a better handle of it. But 
there's only so much you can do to a poor car to develop it to make it go better. Williams have uh, already openly admitted they're focusing totally now on the 2022 car as well in the same way that Haas are. They're not making many changes to it. They've got to think about their long-term plan. George is making good with the equipment he's got. I mean, I agree with you. There have been times when he's gone off the boil and he's made mistakes. But you know what? I think a lot of that comes from frustration. A lot of that comes from, I'm the man. I should have been in that car. I proved it to you all. I, I showed the world in Sakir that I'm the better man for the job than Bottas. And what did you do? You played safe. You know, you decided to just go for safety, go for what you knew. And in the first six races, it's being proven that I think they got it wrong. I genuinely feel they made the wrong decision. I feel at that point they should have gone, do you know what? We need to shake things up. Red Bull are clearly shaking things up. They've put Perez in the car. We know that he's going to be stronger than both Alex and Pierre Gasly would have been. We need to shake things up as well. And I'm afraid they've missed an opportunity. And if they don't do something about it, whether that's, I don't know what they what they can do. Can they, can they load Valtteri Bottas with three or four more monsters than he's supposed to on race day to get him to wake up a bit? I don't know what they do. You know, you can't dramatically change something unless you actually decide to be revolutionary rather than evolutionary. I think Bottas has reached his peak. And that's a horrible thing to say about a racing driver who's very talented and is only 31. But I do think that Bottas has reached his peak. Some drivers, they just get to that point where they can't do anymore. He's been in the best car for four and a half seasons. We can't expect him to go any better than he's already done. Uh, I think he's peaked. And for, for George, he's just getting started. Jake, for all of your lovely words, though, mate, that's not going to happen. And we know that's not going to happen. Of course it's not going to happen. Toto's yeah, no, already absolutely. said it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, he's made it quite clear that Valtteri's got the drive. He won't make he won't pull a Red Bull and make no. a call and make a change over the well, summer All I can break. say then is congratulations to Red Bull for winning the 2021 Constructors' Championship because it's a dead cert. I'm sorry, it's a dead cert. I agree with you on Valtteri though, mate. I really do because uh, you can take Valtteri back to the Turkish Grand Prix. That's when I think it really started to unravel. Mm. The day that Lewis won the world title and Valtteri was absolutely nowhere, spinning God knows how many times and finished down in 14th place. And he's just not been the same ever since. I think that that result, that performance that day absolutely crushed the life out of him. And we're seeing the remnants of that now that that's still rumbling on. Um, I agree. I think it's, it, they should make a change. I'd love to see a change. It would absolutely be dynamite for the sport as well. But we just know it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Bottas's attitude as well, though, Ian, isn't it a a reflection of a man that this is what happens when you're a hyper competitive driver and you sit in a number two seat playing the support role and having your the carpet pulled out from underneath you so often to be Lewis Hamilton's basically push buggy at times to, to get him through races and to help him out and get him to the front of the pack. I mean, you talk about, and Jay mentioned obviously like Bottas might have reached his peak, but has he just reached his peak with Mercedes? Because there's only so long that you want to be that second fiddle and we, we saw Ferrari over the years uh, either with, they were forced to do it or you know Eddie Irvine wanted to go to a, a team that he felt he could be a number one driver at and such they refreshed it over and over and is it just a case of that refresh now needs to happen because no F1 driver wants to be the backup driver Valtteri reached his peak a long time ago with Mercedes I think it's fair to say and as Jake has quite eloquently pointed out as well where it's but it's pretty much all gone wrong Ben, we've got to think when Lewis and Nico were together, that was that eventually was a volatile relationship. It was something that Toto has said many times since that he did not want to put up with. So they brought in Valtteri, they brought in a guy they knew would not rock the boat, shall we say. Uh, 
And that's the role he's played. He's He's been this steady guiding hand as Lewis's wingman and Valtteri hates that expression, but that's effectively what he's become. And as you say, when you're in that position, despite the fact that you might have all these wonderful aspirations of being world champion, when you're in that position as Valtteri has been in this number two car alongside one of, if not the greatest Formula One driver of all time, where do you go from there? Mm. He's struggled. He, he's, he's been unable to find his true place in Mercedes, apart from the fact that he's just this wingman driver. So now the only option is for him to get out of there. I, I would I would not want another contract if I was Valtteri at Mercedes. Yeah. I agree with you because you've got, look, look at Eddie Irvine. He spent four years as number two to Schumacher, couldn't beat him. Uh, Rubens Barrichello, six years as Schumacher's number two, couldn't beat him. We're in this same pattern. You know, it's exactly the same. And there's only a certain amount of time before Bottas decides, I've had enough of this. You know, it's not worth it. If I was him, I'd be talking to Alpine for 2022. In all honesty, I'd be trying to get in there alongside Alonso. Can you imagine what that would be like as a team? Alonso and Bottas together developing the Alpine and actually taking podiums off people, actually really pushing it. The first six races for Alpine, their development has actually been quite steady. They've been getting on with it. They have been developing the car. They have been evolving. It looks like they're rebuilding. Ocon's genuinely looking better than I thought he was going to be. But I still think Alonso's actually slightly outclassed him over the course of the two, three races. Certainly the last two, three races, he's looked a little bit stronger at times. So it's certainly in the, over the long period of the race. Ocon versus Alonso is going to rumble on. But Bottas is now a genuinely attractive option to them because obviously he's taken five years of experience with the best car and the best team alongside the best driver in the world. So if Alpine want to continue their development, they should probably make a pop for Bottas for 2022, in my honest opinion, because that's how you win. You you break up the harmony. You know, there's clearly this symbiotic relationship between Hamilton and Bottas. I said this about Ferrari, you know, a, a couple of seasons ago, if they really want to beat Mercedes... Take Bottas away from Mercedes. You know, break up that dis- uh, that harmonious friendship they've got, this this kind of ingredient. Then put him with someone who wants to beat Lewis and wants to prove himself. That's how you get into the head. You play those mind games and you break up the family. I don't disagree with you at all, Jake. Should we have a quick chat about the Baku race? Just, just to <laughs> bring idea. it back to what happened this weekend. <laughs> yeah, good idea. <laughs> well, we can look uh, at Alonso and the, the Wiley veterans having pretty good results. And, and we were damning two races back. Aston Martin as when is it going to come right, Sam, for them after a very difficult start to the season. And then two races, you have a top five finish for Sebastian Vettel in, in Monaco, continuing his streak. And then he continues another positive streak that he has in his career at Baku by sticking it on the podium for their first ever podium finish. We would not have predicted Aston Martin to have taken the points tally away from these last two races about a month ago, would we? No, definitely not. And um, I mean, I was particularly scathing about them. Um, I mean, I believe the phrase all the gear, no idea was uttered, maybe. Um, but no, it Vettel has definitely turned a corner. Um, whether it's just because he performs well on street circuits, that remains to be seen. As Ian's alluded to about, about Mercedes... We need to see what happens in France next next time out and on the other more, air quotes, normal circuits. Um, but yes, it's a brilliant turn of results for Vettel especially. I mean, P2, who saw a podium coming for him this season, let alone this soon? Um, so yeah, full full marks and full credit to Spassium. Driver of the day, justifiably, two weekends on the, on the spin. Um, 
And Sergio Perez, I mean, what a job he's done. Everyone thought he was going to struggle and sink next to Max Verstappen. Um, and to, to win a race, that's what Red Bull needed. They needed a driver in the number two role. Let's be honest, it is a number two role, as we said about Bottas, that can pick up the pieces when Hamilton and when Verstappen don't finish a race. Um, he got them that result. Can you honestly say Gasly in his time at Red Bull or Alex Albon would have done the same? I don't think they would have. It's interesting because we, we seem to be going through another developmental shift now. Baku and a couple of races ago with Monaco as well, we've had you know Vettel, Alonso and Raikkonen all doing relatively decent jobs over the last two races and Helio Castroneves winning the Indy 500. It's like the old boys are trying to teach everybody new tricks. And it, it, it's great. You know, it, it just reminds you that talent is talent and it, it can't fade. And I'm delighted to be wrong about Vettel. I said this year, there's no point in him even trying because he's never going to do anything. And I'm delighted to be proven wrong. You know, it's nice to see that Vettel has still got the spirit. He has still got the fight. Alonso, likewise. You know, I would never have thought he would be getting anywhere near the top six this season. I genuinely felt he would struggle to get ninth or tenth. But fair play to him. You know, he really has uh, done his homework. And it's great to see that, you know, the current generation of Formula One does allow some of the older talents to break through and come back. And like you say, with Perez, you know, again, he would almost certainly have been expected to struggle because if Formula One is for the youngsters, if Gasly and Albon can't keep up with Verstappen and they were rated as highly as him, then what chance would an old boy like Perez would have done? But no, it's brilliant. Really, really good to see that uh, Perez was on form in Baku, as were the slightly older drivers on the grid. Uh, It just makes it just makes for more interesting questions than we're used to having at the end of a Grand Prix, which is wonderful. Perez said, give me five races. Lo and behold, after the fifth race, into the sixth race, he goes and pulls it off. And yeah, I'm delighted for him, to be fair, because I think many people will agree he was so wrongly and so badly discarded by Racing Point last season to make way for the marquee signing in Seb. Yep, Seb's now found a new lease of life. Let's hope that continues at Aston Martin. But I'm genuinely, genuinely delighted for one of the nicest guys in Formula One, and that's Perez, with what he's doing. And I just hope it continues. He's finally... And I hope he... he, Unlike Bottas at Mercedes with Lewis, I hope Sergio does not become Max's wingman in this title race. Yes, he inherited the win on Sunday. We know that, given what happened to Max, he was going to be second. But I genuinely hope he can push Max all the way as well and that he can thrust himself into this into this title race as well because he is as, as good a driver um, uh, out there as far as I'm concerned. On what Ian was saying there, it was, um, so it was very nice to see in, in Park Ferme after the race, Perez and the Aston Martin mechanics getting together, all of them hugging each other as if he was still a part of that team, a part of that family. And I do just have to give Ewan a quick shout out because in a WhatsApp message before the race, he predicted that Sergio Perez would win the race. I don't think he saw any of what actually happened happening, but he predicted yeah. Sergio would win the race regardless. So uh, just just a, a few points to Ewan there. So Ewan finally gets off the fence, but it's not on the podcast and he gets it right, but he 
wasn't on record on this show to be able to do it. He, he chooses his <laughs> moments, that boy. That that's the kind of race back who was, wasn't it? <laughs> Look, I would he's love off, to. Le- he's off today because he's having some splinters removed. Obviously, so obviously, I would love to leave it on a uh, Sergio Perez upbeat moment. But we do have to quickly talk about Pirelli that everything went on with the tire failures because I, I can only imagine some heads will be rolling in at, at, at Pirelli for for what's gone on. There's going to be a big inquest into why these tires. Are perhaps failed in the way that they did you can't have drivers at 200 miles an hour having tire failures going down a formula one straight like baku it, it's too serious a chance for for something really tragic to happen and you saw how lance stroll was shaken up and and max verstappen if that if that car veers to the left towards the the pit lane divider rather than the right it could have been a very messy situation indeed can you just take us through perhaps the thoughts around pirelli after this weekend and and what they might have to do in the future then the thing is though it if what they've said is is true following their preliminary investigation and it was a preliminary investigation post-race they said it wasn't structural that the two blowouts the two failures were debris related that's to be seen um they're planning on delivering their uh verdict uh sometime next week i would assume just before the french grand prix uh we saw as well um when mario isola was being interviewed the head of pirelli uh during the media press conference that he held he actually held up his uh iphone to the zoom camera and he showed this six seven centimeter cut in lewis hamilton's tire so lewis was very fortunate himself to avoid his own failure um but what can you do they've already strengthened the tires this season in a bid to overcome what happened last season we all remember what happened at silverstone how strong are they supposed to make these tyres? You know, because if you, the stronger you make them, it just means the more durable they become, the more one-stop races we're going to get. So is it one of those things? We've got to hope it was and that we don't see the like again this season. As I say, we'll wait for the verdict to come out. Hopefully it was debris related. They are correct. It wasn't structural. If it was structural, that's when they've got problems. But it looks like that wasn't the case. I agree with you, Ian. Yeah, I mean, th- th- we've had these scrutinies uh, against Pirelli before where essentially all they've been doing is as they were instructed. You know, they are literally following a brief that Formula One has given them. And if for whatever reason it's incorrect, then it's actually something that needs to be addressed by Formula One as well as Pirelli. You know, are the are the guidelines that they're giving Pirelli not correct in terms of being able to have these kind of problems? We've had these issues with... Uh, uh, tires in the past I mean you've only got to look back to 2005 Indianapolis to see that those arguments you know can go very very wrong for the good of the sport not just for safety reasons so you have to address these things but I do think you're right in in suggesting that you know the correct course of action for investigation has to be done I mean too many times even in recent years in Formula One we've waited for the worst to happen and that's the thing there's so much history where we can look back on so many times where you've seen an incident that could have been worse and that's the warning bell that's the sign that's where you've got to be reactionary and think you know what we cannot afford for something worse than this to happen and we cannot wait for the worst to happen for a reaction uh with the halo i think it was incredibly justified there were warning signs a couple of decades before and not much was taken and the worst had to happen unfortunately for these things to happen. But the good thing about Liberty Media is they are really good at being able to spot these things quite quickly. And we've had 
some significant changes to procedures, to uh, safety implications, to various different uh, elements within the sport, even in the last two to three seasons where they've looked at an incident and gone, do you know what? We dodged a bullet there. We cannot afford to dodge that bullet again, never mind for the worst to happen. So it's really good that Liberty Media are taking these sort of things on board and saying that's something that we need to fix. So that if this had been a problem 10 years ago, I would have been fearful. I'm actually quite positive that they picked up on this and we got away with it this time because I think the reactions are going to be quite positive and they're going to be upbeat from both Pirelli and F1. They'll come up with a solution to this very quickly. Gents, let's leave it there. A big thanks to uh, Ian, Jake and Sam for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time out on this busy Tuesday to get into all things Baku. And of course, remember to get onto Anchor.fm, our host and all good podcasting outlets to hit subscribe, rate, review and stay abreast of everything going on on the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast and of course GP Fans Global on YouTube and Twitter as well. And we will leave it there because we've got a bit of time before we get into all things Vive la France and we're back to proper circuits once again take care